Well, all right. Everybody's a little sleepy, a little grouchy, I understand. Uh, we had uh, one of those scenes like that movie Stand By Me at my house, you know, the pie-eating contest scene? That happened last night with three of my kids. I guess uh, Karen woke me up at 7 this morning. She says, from 7 o'clock last night when you left until 5 o'clock this morning, it was a total bar for Rama at our house. And uh, so that's where Karen is. And she's, she and I had a discussion about which one of us was going to preach the sermon today because she's missed three of the last four Sundays. So she sends her love uh, to you all. But you are glad that she and the children are not at home are at home instead of, uh, instead of here with you. Uh, one of the uh, exciting things I get to do, um, I, I really have the best job in the world, whether you know it or not, I do. Uh, getting to be a pastor at this church is really fun, and uh, getting to open God's Word with people is, is more fun. And, um, and I, one of the fun things I get to do is I get to welcome new members uh, to the church, and we have six this morning. Um, so, um, if you would, um, Rod and Anna and, uh, Madison and Shirley and uh, Mike and Jessica, if you'd all come forward, we're going to welcome you officially as, uh, voting members of Chillicothe Bible Church and, uh, give you an opportunity to, um, if you join me after the service back in the back. Uh, we'll give everybody an opportunity to greet you officially and welcome you, because uh, we're excited that you all have joined in with us and are going to be part of what we're doing. So, got a, I got another mic here. I'm prepped in case this one cuts out. Um, first of all, you confess faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and do you desire above all else to live for Him? If so, signify by saying. I do. Do you, decide, do you declare your intention to live in submission to the doctrine of the church as expressed in its confession of faith? If so, signify by saying, I do. Do you promise to support this congregation with your prayers, with your faithful attendance at its services, by your encouragement of our members, the willing use of your talents and gifts in our ministry? And the giving of your means as God prospers you, if so, signify by saying, I do. All right, then I charge you by the word of God, according to uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 through 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. And also, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you, were made, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Welcome, all of you. You can be seated. Thanks for joining us. And if you would like to be a member, if you're not a member, uh, see us uh, over at the office, and we'll get you the information about that, about the privileges and the responsibilities of church membership. Uh, it's fun to have new members. 
Uh, gave out a bunch of membership packets last week, and we've got uh, some other people that are considering it. And if you'd like to be one of those folks considering that, uh, we will uh, be happy to welcome you to that. Uh, the other thing that's fun around here is, have you seen all the new babies? Uh, I mean, this is cool, isn't it? Uh, welcome back, Spencer and Laura. Welcome back, Josh, Amanda. Uh, it's good to see you with your with your little ones with us again. Um, I, I'm glad you're here, in spite of the fact you probably haven't slept in weeks. Uh, <laughs> we're we're excited that you're here. Uh, we've got uh, other expectant moms, and it's it's fun to have uh, have the church growing that way too. Uh, one other uh, announcement I want to make: um, there is a Selah, apparently that's a group uh, concert coming up uh, on April the 13th. If you want uh, to go, uh, there are some details out on the table in the foyer. Or see uh, Dave and Bev Minnick. Shoot your hand up there. Or see Bev, I guess. Dave, Dave is gesturing. See Bev. And uh, they can get you details. Apparently, there's a price break on tickets if we uh, have a group that goes. Um, it's exciting to be with you this morning. This is a great day. Um, I'm pumped up about uh, God's Word and being able to open it to you. Over the past few weeks, if you've been here, you've seen that we what we're doing is we're taking this magnificent jewel at the center of the Scriptures, the cross of Christ, and we're just taking it and kind of holding it up to the light of God's Word and looking at different facets of what Jesus is doing on the cross. And if you were here last week, you'll remember that we talked about propitiation, which is the idea that God, because we are sinners, has anger, wrath, and hatred toward us. And at the same time, He loves us. And so he pours out on Jesus all of the anger, wrath, hatred, and judgment that we were due on Jesus. And Jesus takes our debt, pays our penalty, bears God's wrath so that we don't have to bear it. And tightly related to that idea is what we're going to look at this week, which is expiation. Uh if you're a theologian, you probably know what expiation is. If you're a normal human, probably not. <laughs> um, but I want to show you over the next few minutes from the Scriptures what it, what it is. Uh, and if you have your Bible, we're going to look at a book you've probably never heard preached from in your life. We're going to look at Leviticus, um, chapter 16. And... Uh, uh, a lot of you probably haven't done your devotional reading in Leviticus lately. Uh, but there is some great stuff in here that applies to us that we need to see. And uh, we're also going to look in the New Testament too, so don't worry. Uh, but uh, we're not going to spend the whole time in Leviticus. But I want you to see this. Uh, Leviticus chapter 16, because all Scripture is inspired by God, and is profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction and training in righteousness. Leviticus chapter 16, uh, beginning in verse 6. Take a look here. This is in the section that deals specifically with the Day of Atonement, uh, with Yom Kippur, this annual ceremony that takes place in the fall uh, of the year when the high priest would be charged with, the, with dealing with the sin of the nation and with his own. 
uh, beginning at verse 6, Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. And then he shall take two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. And Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself, and he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small and shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. And then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. And shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting in the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself through a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Now, these are part of God's instructions to the to Aaron and to the high priests that would descend from him on what to do on the Day of Atonement on Yom Kippur. The Day of Atonement is this annual day uh, where the nation would collectively deal with its sin because these instructions were originally given to Israel when they were in the, in the desert. They were out in the wilderness uh, because they had rebelled against God Uh, God condemned them to wander 40 years in the wilderness until all of the uh, parents' generation that came out of the land of slavery uh, in Egypt, uh, until all of them died for their rebellion in the desert. God said, you won't go into the promised land? Fine. You won't get to go into the promised land. And all of that generation died except for Uh, Caleb and Joshua and their families, even Moses, did not go into the promised land because of his rebellion at one point later. 
Uh, but God gave these instructions about how to build this portable tent uh, to worship in. And there was an inner sanctuary structure that was divided into two parts uh, that was called the holy place. And then around, and then around it, there was this these fabric walls of this portable structure, and it had in it various pieces of furniture, an altar and then a, a wash basin to clean off the blood and uh, filth that you would get over you uh, as a priest as you're making these sacrifices. And then inside the structure, uh, there was two rooms, an outer room that had a lampstand that stayed lit, uh, and then also a, an, an, a little altar that burned incense that represented the prayers of the people going up before God. And on the other side, a table with bread on it that enabled the priests to have something to eat while they served before God. And then on the other side of that veil was this wooden box called the, the Ark of the Covenant. If you've, how many of you have seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? Okay. Uh, it actually, Spielberg did a pretty good job with that. Um, although I might differ, differ with him on a few details, he actually did a pretty good job. It's a, it's a wooden box covered with gold, and on top, the top of it is a, is a lid, and that lid is called the mercy seat. And it's called the mercy seat because that's where you would sprinkle the blood from these animals that were sacrificed on the Day of Atonement. And the idea was that, that inside the box there were three things that represented various um, rebellions in the history of Israel. There was Aaron's rod that budded when the people rebelled against Aaron and his priesthood. And God said, bring in all your ceremonial staffs from your families and whichever one produces flowers in the morning or produces buds in the morning, uh, will be that'll be the guy I've designated to be the priest. And uh, Aaron's rod not only budded but had flowers and almonds growing on it in the morning and everybody else's was just a dead stick. So they put Aaron's staff in the box. And they also had a pot of manna every morning it was people woke up except for on the sabbath day there would be manna on the ground god told them you're going to in the morning i'm going to feed you with bread from heaven and so in the morning people got up and they looked and all over the ground there's these white flakes of stuff and they said to themselves and to each other manna which is what is it literally that's what it means what is it god had told them the previous day there will be bread from heaven on the ground tomorrow and when they got up, there was bread from heaven on the ground, just like God said, and they went, what is it? Because they did not believe what God had told them. So God said, take a pot of this and put it in the ark. To remember that people did not trust me when I said I would feed them in the desert. And then also inside the box was the original set of tablets that God himself carved out and gave to Moses that Moses broke at the foot of Mount Sinai because the people were engaged in the worship of the golden calf. And so all of these things are in the box, and they all symbolize the sin of the nation and their rebellion. But every year on the Day of Atonement, there would be blood that would be sprinkled on the top of this, on the mercy seat. And it covered, in a sense, symbolically, the sin of the nation so that when the two holy angels that are represented on the box and when God's presence that dwelt above the ark in the temple 
look down on that box and see the sin, they see also the blood sacrifice that covers over their sin. And there's an elaborate process to the ceremony. There are, there are three animals involved in the sacrifice, three trips into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant is, and there are uh, two types of purification. And so first you look at the three animals. Well, there's a bull and there's two goats. And the bull is for the priests. The priests are Aaron and his sons initially, and that's why it says to Aaron, here's the instructions. Uh, but then the, the priestly line descends from Aaron's family. You could not be a priest unless you were a descendant of Aaron. If you meet a Jewish person today and they have the last name Cohn, C-O-H-N, or Cohen, uh, that's the Hebrew word for priest. Okay, They're the descendants of Aaron who are still around. They're still alive. Uh, and you had to be a descendant of Aaron. And the high priest was traditionally the eldest son in the descendant in the in that line and that descended from Aaron. And the priest had to offer the, a bull, which was the most valuable animal that you had, uh, as the atoning sacrifice for his sin. And so what he would do is kill the bull first, and then he would take fire from the altar in what was called a censer. If you've ever seen the old style uh, bed warmers, you ever seen one of those? It's got the kind of the brass thing on the end with holes in the top and a long handle. You know, back before the days of central heat, what you do is you take coals from the fire, put that in there, and then you shove that into your bed before you got in it, and it would keep your feet warm. Also, sometimes burn down the house. But the idea is, is that it would keep your feet warm in the winter. And something like that is what a sensor is. And you would take coals and you would put it in there. And then you would to go into the, by yourself as the high priest, you would go in with this thing and two handfuls of incense. Of the special incense that was reserved for the temple or the, temple or the tabernacle use. And when you went in, you would put that incense in that little uh, bronze uh, case and shut the lid, and then it would start to smoke like crazy. And the idea was is that the smoke shielded you from the presence and glory of God and being seen by God and, of course, uh, you seeing God and being totally overwhelmed at his holiness and his presence and dying as a result. And so that would be your first trip, would be going in and lighting the incense and having it burn and fill the room with smoke. And then you would go back out, you would take some of the blood and of the bull, and you would go in with it in a basin, and you would sprinkle it on the top and on the sides of the ark. Again, symbolically covering your sin in this, as represented by the things in the box. And that would make atonement for the, the priest and for his family, for the, the, the sins of the priests. Notice that it's a more valuable animal than for the rest of the entire nation. It's because leadership is held to a higher standard than everybody else. Still true, by the way. If you're a spiritual leader, you're held to a higher standard than everybody else. 
Then on your on your third trip in, you would take you would take the blood of one of these two goats, and you would choose which one was which by uh, lots, which is like dice essentially. You'd roll these, and okay, well that one got a six. This one got a four. Okay, number six, you're the lucky winner. We're slitting your throat. And they would cut the animal's throat, they'd collect the blood, and they would go in and they would sprinkle some there. And the, the, that would, that was, the idea of that is that would purify the temple structure itself or the tabernacle structure where God's presence dwelt. Because the whole reason for this is that God is holy and yet he is dwelling in the presence, literally in the presence of sinful people who live all around this building in their own tents. And how can a holy God put up with and live with and dwell with sinners? Because as we saw last week, God is absolutely holy and his justice has to be revealed against sin and sinners. And so you have this ceremony, the Day of Atonement, to enable, in a sense, God, who is holy, to live in the midst of sinners. And so then on your... So then you would also come out and you would sprinkle blood from the bull and from the goat on the altar where you offered sacrifice. And that was the ceremony that was part of the ceremony that cleansed the outer part of the tabernacle or the temple. And so you had to offer cleansing for the inner part and and make and cover up your sin with blood on the inside of the temple, and then on the outside, you sprinkled it on the altar to clear to clear and make atonement for the outside structure of the temple where all the people came in and out and offered sacrifice with the priest. And then you would take this other goat. Now, if you, re- if you read it in the ESV, it, it actually, I think, is... Um, not really a it's a poor translation because it's not a translation the word azazel that's there is the hebrew word azazel that they've just brought over into english uh, and left it untranslated which is not terribly helpful um and and there's some debate and discussion about what it means because this is literally the only place in all of hebrew literature it appears (laughs) and so they don't know exactly what that means but the best suggestion that that I have come up with in my study is that it's a combination word between the verb to go and the noun goat. And they put them together and they come up with this unique word. This is the goat that goes. This is not the, the, the throat-slitting goat. This is the goat that leaves. Uh, and... And what the priest would do is he would lay his hands on that goat and he would name all of the sins that had been confessed in sacrifice over the previous year. Now, not in specific. Obviously, when you've got a whole nation of people, you can't, you know, and Bob Smith committed adultery. You know, I mean, you can't get that level of specifics. And so you... You name, you know, we've broken your covenant by committing adultery and we've broken your covenant by not keeping the Sabbath and we've broken your covenant by stealing and we've broken your covenant by murder and we've broken your covenant by covetousness and we've broken your covenant with idolatry and we've broken your covenant with greed and we've broken your covenant by 
lying and bearing false witness, and we've broken your covenant in all these various ways. And all that sin would be laid on that goat. And then somebody would take that goat and they would carry it away out into a remote area and leave it there to die. To be consumed by wild animals or fall off a cliff maybe or something. But they would take it out far enough where it couldn't find its way back home. Because the idea behind the scapegoat or the going goat, if you will, was that not only is our sin confessed, not only is our sin covered, but it's taken away from us. And it's led out into the wilderness and left there to die and taken away from us. That it's removed. You know, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is Psalm 103, verse 12, which says this, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sin from us. So that our sin is not just covered up, it's not just papered over, it's not just sort of, you know, swept under the rug, it's removed. And this goat, the goat for Azazel, the goat that goes is picturing what God does when he when we confess and when we when when we have atonement made for our sin God not only covers it up he removes it he removes it he takes it away from us and i want to show you from your new testament how Jesus is the true scapegoat And first, I want you to see that Jesus' coming as the scapegoat is explicitly predicted. And so if you've got your Bible there, turn over to Isaiah chapter 53. I heard somebody say that Isaiah is the fifth gospel. And that's pretty good. Because Isaiah gives us all kinds of details about what kind of Messiah we not only need, but what kind God is sending. Isaiah 53, verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In other words, just like that goat, In a sense, God is going to take the Messiah and put all of our sin on him, on his head. Even though we're the ones who wandered off, Jesus is going to be the one who's going to have our sins laid on him and carry it off from us. In fact, if you go over to the Gospel of John... Look at the crucifixion in John chapter 19. Look how this is described. Chapter 19, verse 16 to 17. So he, that is Pilate, delivered him, that is Jesus, over to them, the Jewish leaders, to be crucified. So they, the Jewish leaders, took Jesus and he went out 
bearing his own cross, to the place called the place of the skull, which is an Aramaic called Golgotha. And there they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. If you go back one chapter earlier in John, what you see is that when Jesus is being tried, the high priest, Caiaphas, prophetically says this, it's good that one man die for the nation. And Caiaphas was more right than he knew because though he was evil in conspiring to put Jesus to death, it was good that Jesus died because in his death he was made the scapegoat. Our sins were laid on him, and then Jesus, like that goat, was led out away from the people. Outside the city, outside the camp, away, and put to death. That our sins would be laid on him, and they would be taken out into the wilderness and die there. With the scapegoat carried away from God's presence at the temple, carried away from God's people who were assembled there and put to death in a desolate place. Even one named something kind of desolate. Place of the skull, place of death. In reflecting on these things later, Paul says this in his second letter to the Corinthians, for our sake... He, he, that is God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. See, part of the thing with the scapegoat was this. This is an innocent animal. This is an animal who has done nothing wrong, who didn't have sin of his own. In fact, it was symbolized by the fact that you had to get a special goat. You had to get one without any sores, without any wrong with it without spot without blemish of any kind and that was symbolic of the fact that the person who needed to die for you had to be absolutely perfect in every way and when the messiah came he was without sin without spot without blemish without anything that could be held against him by god And God took all of our sin and laid it on his head, on his shoulders. And said, I'm going to transfer your sin, your guilt, your shame, your penalty, the wrath that you deserved, and put it on Jesus. And he's going to be the scapegoat for you. So that you could have your sin removed from you. And taken away to a desolate place and forgotten in the grace of God. So that you, who were unrighteous, could receive the righteousness of God as a gift. Though you didn't deserve it, though you can't earn it, though you could not do enough good things to receive it, God made Jesus your scapegoat so that you could have his righteousness. Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25. 
He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Notice how Peter picks up Isaiah 53. You were straying like sheep, but now you have returned. Why? Because Jesus is the true scapegoat. And he took away your sin and gave you his righteousness. Jesus' death brought us life. Jesus died with our sin that we might live the righteous life of which we were formerly incapable. Well, what are we to do and to think of these kinds of magnificent truths and realities? These things that are done on our behalf and by the only Savior that's worthy of the name, Jesus Christ. What are we to do with these things? I think the first thing is really obvious. It's to place our trust, our dependence for our not only day-to-day life, but our eternal life in Jesus Christ. He is the true scapegoat. I know some of you are probably tired of hearing me beat this drum week after week after week. And if you are... uh, Tough, (laughs) okay, (laughs) because here's the deal. It is absolutely, fundamentally, completely, unalterably essential for a person to place their trust in Jesus Christ if they're going to have any hope of entering into God's presence if they're to have any assurance that their sins are covered and have been taken away from them, they have to place their trust in Jesus Christ. And if I am passionate about that, I am not going to apologize. Because this is the basis of the Christian life. And if you are a person who has never placed his or her faith in Jesus Christ, I'm not going to ask you to do that. I'm going to beg you. I'm going to plead with you. I'm going to exhort you and invite you repeatedly until you are sick of hearing me to do that today. Because as the Scripture says, today is the day of salvation. If you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. As long as it is called today, come by faith in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and your sin. He paid the penalty that you deserve. He took the licks that you earned by your sin. He took all of the wrath that God had saved up for you. Instead of that, God poured it out on him. And he has removed from you your sin at the moment that you place your trust in him. And he promises you an abundant life. A full life. A joyful life. 
a life of walking by the Spirit and experiencing joy unspeakable and full of glory. Amen? If you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, you could do it like this. You can right now while you're sitting talk to God in the quietness of your own heart. And you can tell him some things. You can tell him, I know what the Bible says about me, that I am a sinner. I know that that is true. I have met myself. And I know that I deserve your judgment, too. Because as the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. And I know I deserve it. Not just physical death, but eternal death, separation from you in hell forever. I know I deserve it. But thank you that you sent Jesus Christ to die in my place, to take my sin not only on himself but away from me and to give me his righteousness. And I am placing my trust right now in Jesus' death on the cross and that he was raised from the dead to give me new life and the ability to dwell in the presence of a holy God, not just now, but forevermore. And if you do that, just as I've described it, then today you belong to Jesus, and your sin has been carried away from you, and you have been made righteous in the sight of God. And that is worth celebrating. And if today is that day for you, talk to somebody. Talk to me. Talk to Rick Rosetto. Talk to Cindy Rosetto. Talk to Rick or Deb Belock. Talk to, uh, talk to Ben and Terry Alvarez. Talk to Clarice. Talk to anybody in this church who knows Jesus. And we will celebrate with you. We will give praise to God for the glory of your salvation. But it's a free gift. And you can take it right now. Second thing, I think the fact of Jesus' expiation ought to remind us of the fact that we are free from sin. We don't have to live in slavery anymore. We don't have to just because we have, we have been redeemed from the power of sin and we can be redeemed from the presence of sin because Jesus is our expiation. He is the one who is the true scapegoat who in his death carries away our sin from us so that as Paul says, our sins were buried with Christ and we were buried with Christ also and his death so that when he is raised, we are raised to new life and we don't have to do this stuff anymore. And if you are in slavery to sin, one of two things is true. Either you are not a believer And therefore, you need to come to Christ by faith. Put your trust in Him. Or, if you are a believer, you need to repent and experience the freedom and joy and peace that comes from being released and having your sin drowned in the ocean of God's gracious forgetfulness. And having it let out into a desolate place and thrown off a cliff. You need to experience the freedom and joy of confession. 
God speaks to us in the, in, through John the Apostle, 1 John 1, 9, one of the greatest verses in the entire Bible. Memorize this. Etch it on your arm. If you want a tattoo, this is a good one. Okay? <laughs> All right? It, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will cleanse us. He will remove from us all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. That's a glorious promise. A couple questions here as I close. Number one, do you have Jesus, the true scapegoat who bore your sin and removed it from you? Apostle John, in the same book I just quoted, says this. He says, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Do you have Jesus, the true scapegoat, who removed your sin from you? If not, today is the day. Wait anymore. You might walk out this door, pull out onto 29 out there, and get hit by a gravel truck. And go to your reward or punishment one way or the other. If you don't know for sure that when you take your last breath and your heart beats its last beat, you would be in the presence of God, talk to me. Talk to one of the elders. Talk to one of our deacons or deaconesses. We would love to share with you how to experience that joy and peace and freedom sin. And membership in the family of God. Second question, are there any sins present in your life today that you need to confess to God and have banished to the wilderness? Are there any sins that you need to confess today? Maybe you've, maybe you've had the same one that you've been nursing and feeding for the last 50 years. Maybe you've been making excuses for it and, and, and kind of, you know, built a home for it in your soul and you've just gotten comfortable with it to the point that you feel like this is just part of my life, this is just part of who I am. Maybe you even call it part of your personality and say, well, this is just my personality, this is just the way I am. No. God made you, but he didn't make you a jerk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, if you have aspects of your personality that are objectionable, they're sin. They need confession and cleansing and healing. If you have secret parts of your life that you'd be embarrassed if anybody found out, you need to bring them out into the light of God's holiness and be cleansed. If you have made choices in your mind to devote your heart to anything other than Jesus, be it money, power, or advancement at work, or whatever it is. You know what they call that in the Scriptures? Idolatry. If you have sin in your life, come and experience the freedom of having that sin banished to the wilderness by confessing your sin to God, being cleansed from all unrighteousness.
last one. Are you carrying a load of guilt, shame? Do you feel, not just spiritually, but even maybe physically distant from God because of all that you've done and you were weighed down by all of this stuff and you think to yourself, God could never accept me and if he did, I would only be like a second-class citizen in his family. you feel that way, let me share with you the wonderful truth that Jesus receives all who come to him. And he takes our sin like the scapegoat on himself and he takes it out to a desolate place and kills it. Where you don't have to feel shame and guilt and under the load anymore. Jesus died on the cross to take that load from you. Will you let him take it away from you today? Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your magnificent grace. Father, we know that what the Scripture says of us is true, that we are worse than we believe because our sin required the bloody, painful, horrible, sacrificial death of the Son of God to make us right with you. And Father, we pray that if there's anyone here who's never found the freedom that comes in through faith in Christ, Father, we pray they would find it by your Holy Spirit's power that you would work and bring about regeneration and life. And, Father, if there are any here among your people who are clinging to sin or buried under the weight of it, Father, I pray they would confess and find release. Through Jesus, the true scapegoat who came to carry away guilt and shame and sin and iniquity and transgression and filthiness and impurity, who came to take it all away from us and to give us the righteousness of God, Father, I pray that we would find it today. We need it. If we don't need it today, we'll need it tomorrow. Father, I pray we would find you gracious then too, as we know you would. And Father, we pray that we would celebrate the cleansing we have in Jesus Christ. Amen.